The Irish Times Inside Politics podcast is going to be holding another live event. This one is in central Dublin on Thursday, May the 16th at 8am. We are going to be in Medley in Dublin too. We only have a few tickets left, so if you want to join me in conversation with head of Ipsos polling in the US, Cliff Young, along with Pat Leahy and Jennifer Bray, looking at the polling in Ireland in the run-up to the European and local elections, just go to irishtimes.com events where you can get your tickets. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Did you know that students get it free? The Irish Times offers a free digital subscription to all full-time undergraduates. Keep up to date for free with quality journalism and reporting. Claim yours today at irishtimes.com slash subscribe slash student. It's Friday, September the 23rd, and you're very welcome to the Inside Politics podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Hugh Linehan. We thought it might be a useful exercise to do a wrap of the week's events in politics before the weekend arrives. And so here we are with Pat Leahy and Harry McGee from the Irish Times political staff. Hello to you both. Hi, Hugh. So, Pat, uh, there's a lot of budget stuff around. We could spend an hour talking about it, but that's not what this podcast is about. What do we know that's interesting that's come out in the last couple of days for next week's budget? Well, bucket loads of speculation, Hugh, you will, you know, if you've uh, managed to uh, avoid the newspapers uh, all week, um, you won't know what's coming up in the budget. But then again, if you've been reading the newspapers all week, you won't know for certain what's coming up in the budget either, because all measures uh, that have been reported are being discussed, lots of speculation, uh, but decisions won't really be made, won't really be finalised until... Over the weekend. What I can tell you, though, is uh, two things for sure about the budget. The first is that it'll be the biggest non COVID budget ever by some distance. It will be, I reckon, between 10 and 11 billion when you factor in the budget proper, that is, the spending, tax cutting plans for 2023 and the package of cost of living measures which will be announced on the same day and many of which will take effect before the end of this year. I think that will be between three and four uh, billion euros. So you're looking at a package of somewhere between 10 and 11 uh, all told. So what do we know about it? We know that there will be tax changes, adjustments to the tax thresholds, the bans, and to the tax-free allowance. And they will have the material impact of bringing down the level of tax that many middle-income earners would pay. There will be uh, there will be a big welfare package in the budget. I don't think it's going to go as far as the €20 Euros that um, many organisations which work 
uh, with people affected by uh, poverty and deprivation are advocating lots of those organisations saying it has to be 20 euros. I don't think it's going to be anything like 20 euros on the flat rate. But um, in fact, I don't think, think it's going to reach 15 euros on, uh, on the flat rate. But there will, I think, be a big uh, once-off welfare package as part of the cost of living measures, which may involve like a double payment of, uh, of, of money rates. And that I think we're likely to see uh, pretty, uh, pretty soon. So, Harry, there's, there's no real Goldilocks moment in this budget, is there? Some people are going to say it's far too much and it's profligate spending. Some people are going to say it's not enough to uh, address the problems that people are going to face this winter. So how does, um, how does the government navigate its way through that? Well, I mean, the problem is that it's just become an auction now. I was at the Sinn Féin pre-budgetary submission this morning and they're, they've essentially they've upped the ante. I think the overall government package between the cost of living and the budget will be in the region of about 10 billion euro, give or take, whereas uh, Sinn Féin is talking about 13.5 billion. And I'm sure the other opposition parties will also be advancing budgetary and cost of living proposals uh, that will be well in excess of 10 billion euro. And unfortunately, you know, when it comes to the public, the public are never satisfied. So whatever is offered to them by government, whatever the hue of that government uh, uh, is, and I'm sure if Sinn Féin goes into government in the future, I think they will begin to recognise the features of this phenomenon as well, that it's not enough. So we, we've had some extraordinary um, promises. I was actually looking through the Sinn Féin package this morning, and I'm not criticising Sinn Féin in particular because everybody is doing it, including the government. And it reminded me of something akin to the late, late uh, toy show, you know, just just giveaway after giveaway after uh, giveaway. And of course, most of it is necessary because we have been uh, hit by a double or triple whammy of uh, different phenomena this year from the war in Ukraine uh, to the increase in energy prices to steep rates, rises in, in uh, inflation, both uh, food inflation and non-food inflation, uh, which has gone into double digits. And uh, in tandem with that, uh, has been um, an increase in interest rates. We saw an increase of 0.75% uh, proposed by the Fed this week. The Swiss have gone up from b- below zero uh, to above zero for the first time in, in well over a decade. And there are prospects that interest rates will continue to rise in the euro area. Uh, um, uh, the ECB may increase uh, interest rates again in the new year. So against all of that, people find that they have less money in their pocket and they're finding it harder to make ends meet. Uh, the government was was blessed this week, if I may use that religious uh, ter- term, blessed this year uh, by virtue of the fact that uh, corporation tax delivered a bonanza again for them. So instead of running a five billion deficit, uh, the state now is looking at a uh, surplus in the range of uh, 4 billion to 4.5 billion uh, euro. And that has given both the government and all the opposition parties uh, a wiggle room or, or a room uh, to, for, for manoeuvre uh, in terms of uh, spending. And um, they are all promising very lavish uh, spending proposals uh, to essentially to try to lance the wound uh, that will be brought by uh, increased energy prices uh, during uh, the winter month. I think the big difficulty won't really come for the government uh, uh, between now and February. I think uh, 
the, 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 the proposals and the budget will probably be welcome. The difficulty may come in February, at the end of February, if prices do not begin to recede and if inflation continues to rise or stay or plateaus uh, and if interest rates continue to rise, uh, they will be left with a bit of a challenge in terms of how are they going to see out the rest of 2023. Indeed, and into 2024, possibly depending on how all these things panned out. But, um, Pat, Harry brought religion into the conversation there, and religion was in the news this week. The uh, the demographics in Northern Ireland have been changing for many years, but there's a landmark moment in the results of the census in Northern Ireland that, uh, for the first time in the history of that political entity, there are more Catholics than Protestants. Yeah, it's an extraordinary historical moment, really, when you think of the origins of the northern state. It's, you know, it's specific design, gerrymandering, exclusion of the three of three of the majority Catholic uh, counties from the nine counties of Ulster into the uh, the Northern Ireland state hundred years ago with the specific intention of making it a Protestant state for a Protestant people. Now, we have known that this point is coming for some time. Uh, it's It's hardly... Uh, it's hardly a surprise in that in that regard, but it's one of these things. I, I suppose that is kind of a shock, but not a surprise, um, if you know what I mean. Now, I suppose it's long been an assumption in some kind of nationalist, stroke Republican circles that you know the route to a united Ireland was uh, essentially through outbreeding Protestants in uh, in the north, and uh, you know many 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 Catholics have been enthusiastic uh, enthusiastically pursuing uh, that particular route to their political uh, objective. But I think one of the interesting things that's happened, and the thing that complicates the picture uh, politically somewhat, is that you know, we by now have a fairly well-established trend of political allegiance diverging from, you know, religious or cultural background. We've seen in the last election, you know, two important things happening not in, in the North, uh, not just the uh, supremacy of Sinn Féin as the largest party, but the rise of the alliance signifying the, the, the rise of the... the people in the middle ground, the neithers, people who describe themselves as neither Catholic nor uh, nor Protestant and certainly not spanceled by the traditional political and constitutional aspirations of uh, of, of those two camps. So, you know, there's been somewhat of a note of nationalist triumphalism about, uh, uh, about this and the assumption that it brings a united Ireland closer. And I think the picture is a bit more complex uh, than that and will require a, a lot more examination of it. I think it's a good deal more complex than that, Harry. I mean, looking at it, it seems to me, as Pat says, politics is being decoupled a bit from the traditional sectarian identities in in Northern Ireland in all different kinds of ways. And the fact is that the actual, the Nationalist parties, SDLP and Sinn Féin between them, only command the same proportion of the vote now as they did 20 years or so ago in Northern Ireland. So there is not necessarily an inevitable political movement. And I wonder increasingly how useful it is, this, you know, sectarian headcount exercise and even, you know, what Catholic or Protestant mean. I gather, I mean, you were at the Sinn Féin press conference and Mary Lou Macdonald was asked about her religious practice, which seemed to me to be rather an odd thing to be asked about. What was that about? She was asked about her uh, religious practice and she refused to answer it on the basis that it was uh, personal to her and that it didn't have a public dimension. And she said the same went for both Pierce Doherty and Mairead Farrell who were on the stand for her. Um, and she said that that it reflected, you know, uh, 
the, the Catholic Protestant thing. She said it, it reflected the crude sectarian way in which the Northern Ireland state had been founded, that people were branded uh, according to their uh, re- religion. And that was the basis on which the head count um, was made. I, I think that Catholic and Protestant may no longer be the, the working um, metric. Uh, those uh, who are a, a Catholic background probably comprise a lot of people now who are non-believers and who are certainly uh, non-churchgoers uh, uh, and for who would consider themselves probably to be more uh, um, uh, secular uh, than religious. I think the interesting question related uh, to identity, uh, people were asked about what they felt they were. Were they British? Were they Irish? Were they Northern Irish? Were they none of the above? And uh, it was it was salient that those who considered themselves British had fallen substantially uh, since the last census from 40% to 32%, while there was a, a smaller but comparable increase in those who considered themselves Irish from 25% to 29%. But what was interesting to me was that 20% said that they were Northern Ireland Irish only, uh, which to me is a very, very big uh, buffer zone. And I, I think, um, you know, those who think that a simple majority of Catholics uh, will trigger a border poll that will trigger uh, some kind of path towards a united Ireland of some form will be mistaken because the the actual mix of dispositions is far more complex uh, than that. And, you know, you cannot assume that those who assume, who say they are Northern Irish only, have, have any particular bias towards uh, linking up with the South. Actually, interestingly, one of the things in the budgetary proposals for Sinn Féin, there was an omission, there was no reference to Micheál Martin's Shared Island initiative. Uh, Sinn Féin said that's existing spending, so they're not going to tamper with it. They think the initiative itself uh, is, is is useful in so far as it goes, uh, but you can take it uh, as writ that if Sinn Féin were to get into government, uh, the Shared Island uh, unit would be decommissioned and put beyond use very uh, quickly uh, indeed. But uh, the more you look at the uh, the figures uh, on the north, the more you think of Scotland and the referendums they've had and the surveys that show that there's a favourable disposition towards independence. But when it comes to an actual referendum, uh, the, the those who have been advocating for Scottish uh, independence, in the last one at least, fell far short of that goal. Indeed, and, and this is a subject which our listeners will be aware we've covered a lot in the past and I'm sure that we will cover in increasing depth into the future as well. Pat, briefly, if you if you wouldn't mind, I mean, there were decisions made over the last couple of weeks that might have far, much more far-reaching uh, fiscal consequences for the country than, than next week's budget. The decisions made about the way in which pensions are going to be supported financially into the future um, were huge, huge ramifications. Yeah, I think, um, well, of course, some of those, some of those dis- decisions were kind of Kicked into uh, kicked into row Z um, as well, and um, I'll, I'll I'll try in insofar as it is possible because it is the um, it's the mission statement of our Friday podcast to give people a quick catch up uh, on the week. But to the extent that anyone, please do bear that in mind. <laughs> to the extent that anyone can give a quick catch up on pensions policy, I will attempt to uh, do so. No, and um, again, th- this was something that had been. Um, 
flagged in in recent months, the government's new pension policy uh, in which it decided against the recommendations of its own expert commission to uh, decided against increasing the uh, mandatory pension age. Instead, the mandatory pension age will stay at 66. You can't retire until, uh, you can't get the state pension, rather, until you reach 66. But you will be able, uh, if you so desire to retire at 67 or 68 or 69 are indeed 70 and in return for working longer you will get a bigger state pension approximately five six percent a year better uh, if you choose to stay in the workforce and not draw down your uh, your state pension uh, 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 during during those years and what the government didn't say uh, is how specifically is it it's going to pay for this so um we're told that uh, will be paid for by increased prsi contributions but it didn't spell out what uh, what they will be uh, instead it's going to have an actuarial review of the social insurance fund which is the fund through which uh, uh, through which your taxes or those part of your uh, social insurance taxes end up paying not your pension but the pension of current pensioners because public pensions and indeed public sector pensions are paid on a pay as you go basis rather than the idea say in the private sector where you would save money for your and uh, put it in a pension pot which you can then draw down uh, when uh, when you retire which is all of which is rather long-winded way of saying that it's a current ex- rising costs of pensions is a current expenditure problem and if your pensions bill is getting bigger which it will because people are living longer and there will be uh, uh, there will be more uh, more people drawing down state pensions, then your tax revenues have to go up in the future to pay for that. The unfairness that you might, that some people might say at the heart of this is that younger people will be paying longer, uh, will, will, will soon be paying uh, higher taxes for older people's pensions. So, uh, not, not the only generational unfairness which people have pointed out to in the current structures of Irish society, but also... Um, Harry, briefly to you, if you would mind, even briefer than Pat, if such a thing were possible, you were you were quite taken by by Michal Martin's uh, speech last night. You thought there was a perhaps a valedictory tone to it. I did. I think there's two and a half months left in his period as Taoiseach, and I just thought his speech last night was probably one of the best speeches that he's made uh, over the past two years as as Taoiseach. I thought there was a focus on a stridency uh, to it uh, that had not been evident before. Um, I, I thought he was particularly good in terms of outlining the supposed role of the United uh, Nations uh, versus the actuality or the reality uh, which fell sh- far short of um, his uh, ambitions. And he was particularly scathing about the Security Council and about how the Security Council really, uh, in a way, uh, distorts uh, the, uh, the, the, uh, the charter of the United Nations and undermines its very, uh, very being. And he says that the Charter can deliver results, but at the moment, the, the way in which the United Nations is configured, as we all know, just really just, uh, just cannot uh, achieve any of that. And he instanced uh, some of the um, initiative Ireland has worked with in relation to, uh, in, with Norway in relation to Syria. Uh, in the Tigray region of Ethiopia and other places as well to ensure that humanitarian aid uh, can, can continue uh, 
uh, to reach, you know, the millions of people who need it. And he said that at every uh, turn, uh, that good work and that positive work and that humanitarian work uh, was compromised uh, by others who were following their own particular narrow uh, geopolitical uh, agendas. So, um, uh, you know, just as a as a speech, I thought it was very good. I thought the points he made were very strong. I think he he, he delivered it very well. So it, it was almost like a valedictory speech, as you said, Hugh, uh, from him. Perhaps uh, the strongest speech he has made that I have heard uh, he, has, he has made as Taoiseach. We want to finish off the podcast today because it is a Friday uh, to ask uh, each uh, participant here uh, what was their favourite Irish Times article this week or something that they'd recommend to our listeners. Pat? Uh, yeah, I was quite taken with um, Keith Duggan's uh, reports. Uh, not, not not quite one article, but a series of them, reports from London um, in advance of and on the day of the, uh, the the Queen's funeral. I mean, I found the coverage, I was, I was slightly mesmerised by it um, for, uh, for, for a period of time on Monday. I found when I was uh, having my lunch that I was like simply watching a procession of, show, of soldiers carrying the coffin and had been doing so for, for about half an hour before I realised what I was doing. And I thought Keith's... Um, I thought his uh, reports really captured the sense uh, around uh, London, not just on the streets, but the you know the sense of an historical era coming to a close. And it brought, uh, it reminded me of, in some respects, of how different we are to to the British and the way we think about these things. There are awful lot of great similarities between the two countries, but also some very profound uh, differences. Um, between us. And uh, I suppose the postscript to that article maybe was Fintan O'Toole's column on Tuesday, uh, which he um, which he concluded by saying, up the Republic, and uh, in which he uh, in which he argued for the superiority of the Irish system uh, against the Irish Republican system against uh, uh, against a monarchy. But that was uh, they were the pieces I thought were uh, most worth reading this week. Yeah, I'm going to uh, choose uh, an article by Joe Humphreys. He does his unthinkable philosophy column every Thursday. Um, I read it religiously every week, and that's not just because it's on one of my pages, so I have to read it. I think it's well worth reading. He, he This week he's writing about correlation and causation, a subject which is quite useful to think about in relation to politics, and various debates about how useful causation is and how it can go wrong. He There's an interesting parable about a woman called Tamsin, only in a philosophy column can you have a woman called Tamsin, who doesn't get wet because she brings her umbrella out and it doesn't rain. It leads her to conclude that the decision to take an umbrella uh, is the cause of the rain in itself. And um, this is, I think, held up as a as, as, as a bad way of thinking, except I know that every time I don't take out an umbrella, it does rain. So actually, I know that in this case, causation does actually exist, uh, no matter what Joe says. But So that's my favourite article for this week. Post hoc ergo propter hoc, Hugh. Precisely. Couldn't have put it better myself. Harry? I had to go with that article, and I must say, I found it hard going. Uh, when they started talking about physics, the difference between physics and philosophy, unfortunately, I realised that this was not going to be one for me. Very, very... Uh, uh, high concept uh, stuff. I went for a slightly more accessible article this week. Uh, it was uh, Hilary Fannin's uh, column actually from today. And she was talking about the uh, the occasion of the late Queen Elizabeth's funeral. And she started off by saying she bought an apple slice and intended to eat it in front of the television while watching the pageantry. Uh, she uh, has difficulty watching uh, royal pageantry uh, and she thought she might be able to watch Queen Elizabeth's funeral 
but uh, she gave up uh, halfway and uh, a little bit like myself on Monday, I looked, I tuned in in the morning to have a look at it and they're walking down in procession towards uh, uh, Hyde Park and I had lunch, went for a run, got my hair done, uh, went for a trip to Tullamore and back. I came back, looked at the television and they were still in procession on the way down to Hyde Park. It does go on for a long time. But uh, what Hilary marvellously does then is she segues uh, a piece about Queen Elizabeth's funeral uh, to a piece about Gwyneth Paltrow and the Queen of Goop. And it's a marvellously written, uh, funny piece, uh, as you would expect from Hilary Fannin. So that was my Favourite piece this week. Yes, indeed. Hilary, Keith and Joe are three of the, the jewels that that adorn the crown that is the Irish Times and I'd recommend our <laughs> oh, listeners slick, to, slick. To, read, to read them every week. But that's it for this podcast today. This podcast was produced by Declan Conlon. We'll be back in your feeds next week. But until then, goodbye and thanks very much for listening. And don't forget your umbrella. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.